so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 103 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where two fantastic women talk about all the good and bad in, um, well, pretty much the world, but we mostly talk about the entertainment industry. Uh, I am Karen Peterson, joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. Lauren, it's been a minute. How are you? <laughs> I I am good. I'm tired. I think we were talking just a few minutes ago about how tired we both are <laughs> so for tired. very different reasons, and frankly, <laughs> I wish that I was tired the way that you're tired. Uh <laughs> But but I'm tired. But I did get to get to see some movies. Got to got to do things. I got to see Cats finally. Uh, Is that finally or unfortunately? I, okay, like I just I, I said this before we started recording. Just like I need to talk about this. But even sitting here, I'm like, how do you, how does one talk about that movie? Like how do you process what that film is? I have to say that the the theater that I went to, I went with my roommate and. Like, we went in, and we figured, you know, we're going to be, like, one of two of five people in this theater, right? It was, like, on a Sunday afternoon. And we went in, and the theater was packed. Like, <laughs> packed full of people. And, of course, we're both sitting there going, like, oh, shit, please don't let this be, like, a theater full of Cats fans <laughs> who are, like, here to really experience this film. It wasn't. Uh <laughs> I have never heard an audience so engaged with a film in like, and and everyone was laughing. Everyone was like shouting things at the screen. Like it was just this whole thing. There was applause after all of the songs, you know, Ian McKellen came on screen and everybody just erupted into applause. <laughs> um, it was honestly one of the best theater experiences I have had in a really long time, which is very bizarre and not what I expected for this movie. Uh, I loved every single minute of it. It was it was a fantastic film. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I literally thought about it for like two weeks after I saw it. I just kept on going like, but that happened. That is a thing that a human person made and convinced other people to participate in. And and Idris Elba is like naked, and and there there's like there are cockroaches with human faces, and then Rebel Wilson takes off. She has multiple skins. How does she have multiple? Like not just one skin that she like unzips, and then there's another skin. There's like she's got many of them. Judy Dench like stares into the fucking camera for a solid five minutes. And and tells me just like a cat is not a dog. <laughs> I was like, oh Thank my you, god, Dame kill Judy. me! 
<laughs> it's like, yeah, don't fucking say, oh, good, a cat is not a dog. I am so, that is what the point of this film was, was it's, it to explain how a cat is not a dog? It's Thank all been Jesus. leading to that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Jesus, by the way, that we did not have to see the dog, because having seen the cockroaches <laughs> and the mice and the cats, I really did not want to know what a dog looked like in that world. Like, <laughs> I still have so many questions about that movie and I want to see it like five more times because <laughs> I just cannot believe that such a thing exists. It is one of the most unique films I have ever seen ever in the history of film going. And I was like, this is fantastic. There is, this is horrible. I hate it and I love it. It's, it's great. Yeah. Out so, yeah, here. Have... Draft... Sorry. <laughs> Go on. Draft house. Uh, has already turned it into a, a midnight movie like audience participation thing, and well, usually that kind of stuff takes years to kind of build momentum. But I guess it sold out big time last night. So, <laughs> well, yeah. but that's exactly. I mean, it is what the film should be, really, mm-hmm. because it is so. It is so batshit that if you just go in with the expectation that it's horrible and bizarre then you're going to have actually going to have a fun time. That's what I'm saying. This, the audience was obvious, was so into it. Like at, nearing the end of the film, at one point, a guy behind us just started, just started shouting justice for Gus. Gus should have been the one. <laughs> like Ian McKellen is speaking those lyrics like he's doing fucking Shakespeare. And I'm sitting there going like, and he's like washing behind his ears and lapping water out of a bowl. And I, <laughs> Oh my someone god. Someone was saying like I think probably right around when it actually came out, someone was like, I can't poor Ian McKellen, I can't believe they would trick him into doing this. I was like, How fucking dare you to assume that Ian McKellen was not aware of what was happening while he was making this batshit movie? He's not an idiot and he's not senile. He was perfectly aware of what he was doing the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who was aware and who wasn't. There is some great dancing in it, I have to say. Like, yes. the dancing is is really good. The singing is very good. Like, the, it's in terms of the musical talent that is behind it, it's actually quite quite good at that level. Apart but from it's the just... principal characters, uh, all the backgrounds, I believe, were all Broadway folks. So that's why you have such great dance sequences and stuff, because they actually know what they're doing. They're trained. Yeah, and, and like, some, some of the dance scenes are... are amazing i mean just watching them you're like these are really accomplished people but yeah but it's i i I don't i i have to say i think that james corden actually had one of the best line deliveries at one point during like his kind of whatever his introduction scene he goes like oh you cats (laughs) and he all but air quotes it. And I'm just like, yes, I think that James Corden actually understands what's happening. <laughs> I think that he does. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, yeah. It was um, a fantastic cinematic experience. <laughs> I just, I had such large chunks of it where I was so bored that it's like, it kind of took away from those what the hell is happening, like crazy awesome moments. So. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll go see it in a packed draft house, but then I have to give money to draft house. I don't know how to feel about that either. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that you can honestly, like the experience that I had, I think 
you can't you can't really plan. It just sort of yeah. has to happen. You have to have the right audience for it because there's that. Co- it was that combination of like this is ri- ridiculous, but also we're having fun with it. And so there was all, there was this sense that everyone was kind of rooting for the film. Mm-hmm. They're just like, what is going to happen next? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, crazy, crazy. <clears throat> well, I've had an interesting week or so. Since last yeah, we you spoke. <laughs> so, um, oh man, I don't even know where to start with this. So I'm in the Hollywood Critics Association, recently renamed from Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society. <laughs> Very good name change. Um, and our awards were uh, about a week and a half ago. It was last Thursday. The way that we do it, the first, this is the third year that the group has existed and they've done awards ceremonies from the beginning. This is my first year being a member. So it was my first time getting to go the first two years. They announced the winners ahead of time. Um, and they actually got people to show up to accept like Guillermo del Toro came the first year. Uh, Gary Oldman came the first year. So like they, I mean, and then last year they got big Brie Larson was there. So they're, they've been doing really well at getting people to actually show up. And because of that, this year they decided to hold off on announcing the winners until the night of, and which was kind of cool except for I was like but I want to know who won like I voted and I want to (laughs) know so but um anyway our awards were last last week and we members get to present and I had said I was willing to present but it's totally fine if you don't need me to not a big deal I I'm not gonna be one of the people that's all butthurt (laughs) if, if you if you don't need me it's fine well, what they did was they wanted the presentations to be personalized to the winners, but they wanted to do it in a way that it wasn't, it didn't give away who won until you actually said the announcement. So what they did was basically everybody who was presenting, they sent an email and said, this is your category. This is your winner. Do not tell anybody who won. And so Scott, our our founder, the one who runs everything, he assigned me adapted screenplay and the winner was Taika. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And he's like, he actually said, he's like, I can't think of that movie without thinking of you. (laughs) So it just made sense. And I was like, Oh cool. Thanks. And he goes, but if no one from the studio or if no one from the movie shows up to accept it, we're not going to actually announce it. We'll, we'll pull that category, but I should know by Wednesday and I'll let you know. I'm like, okay. And I didn't hear from him, but I knew he was so busy and overwhelmed that I didn't want to bug him. So I was just like, you know what? If I get there and they say, oh, your category got pulled, it's no big deal. Because I was like, Tyke is not going to show up to this thing. And uh, But then Thursday morning, I was at work at my day job, and I just got this weird feeling. I was like, he lives in the area. There's a lot of stuff happening right now. He might show up tonight. And then I got really nervous. <laughs> And I didn't know, and I didn't want to ask, and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to go with it, we'll see what happens. And I took my mom as my guest, and we're in the car driving, she didn't know who won, I didn't tell her, I didn't, uh, she hasn't, I don't even think she'd seen any of the movies in that category, because I suck as a daughter, but, um, 
But uh, we're driving there, and I was just telling her that the person that I really wanted to win was going to win, and I didn't know if he was going to be there, but I kind of thought he might. And then I started, like, just getting really emotional thinking about how I had to talk about his movie in front of a room full of people. And um, and I was just like, I can't think about this. And so I got there, and it was great. We're having, you know, there's, like, a reception outside and stuff, and we're just all hanging out, talking, and then they... Uh, they had this table that had all the place cards on it with everyone's names with the seat assignments. And the only card I saw said Taiko Waititi. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I grabbed my friend Jazz. And I was like, Jazz, are those cards for people that are actually confirmed to show up? And she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> And I hadn't actually written down what I wanted to say. I hadn't gotten time to do that. And so I was just like, now I definitely have to. Because if I have to talk and he's going to be watching me talk, I have to write this down. Otherwise, I'm going to seriously fuck this up. So uh, I didn't see him. I kept watching for him. They had a red carpet and everything. I kept watching. I didn't see him. And then they opened the door so we could go inside. And right as I'm about to go in, I just happened to take one glance back over at the red carpet, and there he was. And I just grabbed my mom's wrist, and I was like, oh my god, he's here. (laughs) (laughs) And she's just like, oh, cool. (laughs) Like, she just, she knew I was excited, but she really didn't understand why I was that excited. So, um, anyway, so we go inside, and they had, it was really cool the way they did it, because they had each of us that are in the group, there's 40, I think there's 46 or 47 members. Not everybody was able to make it, but we probably had like over 40 of us there. And they had each of us at a different table with different people, different guests and uh, nominees, VIPs. And I was actually seated at the parasite table with Bong Joon-ho and Song Kang-ho and Jun Lee, um, who plays the maid in Parasite, and I was just like, holy crap, this is awesome, I can't believe they showed up, this is crazy, and so they were super sweet, really nice, it was such a fun night, and then it's time for my category, and I'm like shaking, and normally I'm fine with public speaking, I've been doing it since I was a child, I don't have a problem getting up in front of people, but this was like, not just because he was there, but it was like an industry you know, industry professionals, like this room full of 250 people. And I was just all of a sudden just so terrifying. And I was like, oh my gosh, Olivia Wilde is staring at me right now. Like, what the (laughs) hell? And so, so I started talking and I said one thing and people kind of laughed and I was like, oh, wow, good. They think I'm funny. And then, um, and then I started talking about so I, I said, you know, I read off the nominees and then I started talking about Jojo Rabbit without actually talk without saying Jojo Rabbit. And so I just started talking and saying that I was really honored to be able to present this award to pretty much my favorite human. And, um, and a couple of my friends were like, ah, and I said, yep, now those of you who know me, you already know who won. And then I just talked a little bit about the message of, of Jojo. And then I said, so it's definitely not a good time to be a Nazi, but it is a good time to be Taiko Waititi. And he just like, I looked right at him when I said it and the look on his face, he was just like surprised. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, it was just, I was like standing there in front of this room full of people. And I'm just like shaking. And he comes up because I'm standing next to the stairs to greet him. So he comes up to the stage to accept his award. And he just kind of like, 
hugs me sort of and then he kisses me on the cheek and I was just like oh my god that just happened in front of everybody and I mean it's like no big deal but I'm just like don't pass out right <laughs> so, so I go back off the stage while he's speaking his speech of course predictably best speech of the night he's amazing he's so funny and it's just so natural like he just everything he does is just like off the cuff He's the funniest person on the planet. I'm convinced. So after the show was over, um, I was like, because I hadn't gotten to talk, actually talk to him. And I was like, I'm definitely going to go meet him. And so I run over to his table and he was standing there. He's talking to another friend of mine. And then he finished and he turns around and he sees me standing there and he just throws his arms out wide. He goes, sweetheart. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I love you. <laughs> and so he hugs me and I told him, I was like, I just, I can't tell you how much Jojo Rabbit means to me. And he goes, really? And he was so sincere when he said it. And he's just like, really? And I said, I love, I love this film so much. And every time... I talk about it with anybody. I get emotional about it. And he's just like, oh, that's so sweet. And yeah, so I was just like, thank you so much for making this movie. It's really, really great. And then we got a picture and I was just like dying the whole way home. My mom was just like <laughs> so sweet about it. But she was dying too because even though she hadn't seen like any of the movies that were nominated, she was like, I met all these people and they're going to be nominated for Oscars. <laughs> and she was like just so excited too. So it was really cute. But that was just amazing. And then, sorry, this is a really long story. Um, so I ran into him again at the Critics' Choice Awards on Sunday, and I was just like, this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, he's just hes just such a wonderful, wonderful human being. Like, I just, I don't know how anybody could not like Taiko Waititi. He's just, he's incredible. And then I was at the editor's, oh, the Eddie Awards, the American Cinema Editors Group. And I saw on the list that he was presenting the last award of the night. And I was just like, all right, Taika, look, you got to stop following me around town, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't talk to him last night, but uh, I did get to talk to Thelma Schoonmaker. And let me tell you, that was pretty amazing. Like, I'm sure, yeah. She's so... She, the thing that amazed me about her is how normal she is. Like, I believe that. Yeah. I, I don't know why it surprised me. I think I just, you know, certain people, when they get to a certain status, you just, I don't know. I sometimes assume there's going to be kind of this air about them of like maybe this aloofness or they're, you know, kind of above it all. And she was not like that. She was so sweet, so generous, really just lovely. And yeah. And it, I just, the whole time I was talking to her, I'm like screaming in my head, oh my god, it's Thelma Schoonmaker. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, those are some awesome stories, oh I have to gosh. say. <laughs> I just, I can't, I cannot believe the week that I've had. And then, yeah, as I was telling you before we started recording, so last night I'm on the elevator with my friend Zach, and um, he writes for Gold Derby, and I was telling, I just kind of mentioned that we were doing this podcast, and I was going to tell you the story about meeting Taika. And that, um, I said, I said, yeah, I got to tell Lauren about how he kissed me on stage in front of a room full of people. And he's like, oh, I got to hear that story. And then I got off the elevator and realized it was a totally crowded elevator full of industry people. <laughs> and now I'm starting rumors and I'm apparently probably a homewrecker. So that's cool. 
His wife is lovely too, by the way. <laughs> like I said, you're going to wind up in a blind item and be like, oh no. <laughs> I'm going to, if I find one, I'm just going to mess, I'm going to respond, it me. <laughs> oh that man. That is awesome. That's so cool. Like, it really is. I, I have to say, everybody like Karen has occasionally like sent me messages while this was going on and I was just like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I just, when I realized I was going to actually meet him, it just, I, yeah, my brain yeah. couldn't process it. It still hasn't processed it. Oh, and then when I ran into him at the Critics' Choice, he's like, oh, yeah, I was talking to Guillermo a couple weeks ago, and he told me not to miss your show. I was like, oh, you were just talking to Guillermo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Talking to Guillermo. Man. <laughs> like you do. I mean. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty 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 amazing and uh yeah i just i'm really tired but it's like a happy tired it's yeah it's been such an amazing experience and and i just i think about where things started six or seven years ago when i finally jumped into this world and Never, ever, ever would have imagined that all this would be happening. And now I'm going to the Oscars this year. It's like, I, just, I don't know. It's wow. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I'm not saying any of this to brag. I'm honestly just completely flabbergasted that this is my <laughs> life now. I don't understand it. It makes no sense. But I'll take it. Sounds reasonable to me. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about some less savory things. Um. Harvey Weinstein's trial began this week. That was good news. Well, yeah. I guess it was... They're still in jury selection. It's been about 10 days, I guess. They, as of yesterday, I think had seated seven jurors. But they're running into a lot of problems because they've had people flat out say, like, I can't be unbiased in this. Mm -hmm. I have... Like, some of them have been victims or no victims of sexual assault themselves and then a lot of people just know too much about the case and so it's been yeah it's taken a really long time i was shocked um gigi hadid was actually one of the people that was summoned for that jury she got dismissed she's not going to be on it but <laughs> like the fact that she got jury duty and then showed up and it turned out to be the weinstein trial because you don't know what case you've got until yeah. you show up to the courthouse like what are the odds of that well, I'm, I'm always amazed with things like the um, like sexual assault trials or, or sex crimes in, mm -hmm. in whatever form, because, of course, the question that they always ask is, you know, do you know anyone? Have you ever been assaulted or do you know anyone who's ever been assaulted? And I, I'm kind of like, do women ever get selected for these kinds of juries? Because I don't know a single woman who does who has not either had an experience herself or knows someone who has. Yeah. And like. I, I'm just kind of like, and I, I mean, I remember going into jury duty once and, and I, it was for a, um, it was for a sexual assault trial. And I was like, I have to tell you that I have friends who, who this has happened to, like, and they dismissed me, you know? So it's like, I, uh, I mean, I, I don't care. I don't know how anyone would be unaware or unbiased in this particular case. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, how are they going to find 12 jurors it it almost would just be better to just do a bench trial but yeah. i think that weinstein and his lawyers are counting on finding a jury that i mean they can't get jurors that don't 
have biases against him, but they can certainly find some that are sympathetic to him, and I think that's what yeah. they're banking on. Yeah. Which is just yeah. weird that anybody would be sympathetic to him, but, you know, it takes all kinds, I guess. <laughs> there are assholes in this world. There are many, many assholes in this world. Um, speaking of which, French film director Christophe, I'm going to say this wrong, Rougia, was arrested this week. It was just this week, right, that he was finally yeah. arrested. The The allegations came out months ago. I think it was back in November when um, um, Adele Hanel, an actress who starred in one of his films, Les Diables, uh, The Devils, in 2004, 2002, um, she says that on the set of that film, he harassed her and did a lot of, of things to her. And so she finally came forward back in the fall. And mm -hmm. so I guess the, the French police have been investigating this for a while and they've actually pressed charges and he's been arrested for sexual aggression on a minor. One thing that this, this article that I found comes from the BBC. And one of the things that I thought was a little bit, uh, just, oh, those French folks. Um, I'm trying to find the quote. Is it the quote from him? No, it's it's just a quote in the article. Where did it go? Maybe I was, I was reading it in a different article. Yeah, I only see two quotes. One from her and one from him. It was something... It wasn't actually like a, a stated quote. It was just something that the the writer of the article said. And it was something about this, like, sending shockwaves through French, the French industry. Uh, oh, I can't find it. Weird. I must have been reading a different article and I saw that because I was just like, oh, okay, now the French want to be all butthurt about <laughs> people <laughs> molesting kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that it does indicate that We've talked about, you know, what, are the, what is Me Too going to actually, what is Me Too and Time's Up actually going to do? And I mean, the fact that he can be arrested in France, that like they're not brushing this off, that they're actually investigating it, that they're taking her allegations seriously, that, and, you know, and you don't know what is ultimately going to happen in this case, just like we don't know what's going to ultimately happen with Harvey Weinstein. But it definitely shows that there's been a shift in the way that people, that, that, people in authority that the police officers and the legal system are taking these cases. There's been a lot more of like, okay, we're not actually, we're not going to sweep this under the rug anymore. We're not going to say that this doesn't matter mm -hmm. or that it's, it's unimportant. Um, I mean, good for her. You know, there's, I think that she said that it was after she saw the Michael Jackson documentary that she began thinking about this experience and was finally like this, this was not right. This, I need to talk about this. And, um, and, you know, she's she's a badass. Like, I love her. She's she's one of the most interesting people. She gives a great performance, by the way, in <laughs> Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, but, yeah, she's she's being very brave. And I have no doubt that probably particularly living in France, that probably she thought, you know, nothing was going to come out of this. But it something actually might. Mm -hmm. And that's that's hopeful. I mean, regardless of what ultimately happens. Yeah. On watching the 
the Leaving Neverland documentary and then deciding to speak out, she said, it changed my perspective. It made me see I had too long clung to the version of Christophe Ruggier that it had all been a story of love. It made me understand the mechanisms of control and fascination. And I think that's so important for her to say because I think that a lot of times, I mean, I know that a lot of times, especially young women, they convince themselves that what they went through wasn't really what they went through because mm-hmm. on some level they weren't completely repulsed by it or in some ways actually enjoyed the attention or thought it meant something that it didn't. And this is one of the things, I mean, in France, the age of consent is 15 mm-hmm. and it's, that's, that's terrible because at 15 years old, you don't understand when you're being taken advantage of. And that happens so much in so many cases of, of assault and harassment and abuse against girls is because they don't realize what's really happening. And they think that they're inviting it or responsible for it. And the fact that she's able to see that now and understand that it was, you know, it wasn't really what it was, you know, it's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that sense. Well, I mean, anyone who's been, who's been a teenage girl, you know, that it's that like, Oh, this, this mature, intelligent, attractive man is interested in me. And you don't think about the fact that why is, you know, a 35 year old man interested in a 15 year old girl. That's not something that, goes because you're a teenage girl and teenage girls are stupid (laughs) and like they are biologically they are yeah it's not their fault (laughs) (laughs) so so it is being taken advantage of and then and and it can have lasting effects and and it's you and the whole point is that the adult the adults should be responsible but they're not obviously uh, and, and they wind up taking advantage of these girls who are just like, oh, well, she's technically a woman. You know, it's, it's, in some ways, it's the same thing that, you know, the, the creepiness that comes with some critics and commentators being like, oh, we're going to count down until this actress turns 18. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it doesn't suddenly become okay. You know, one day it's not okay, and then now it's okay. Um, it, it's like the, the age of consent thing is illegal rule and it's not it doesn't determine you know this is when it's like now okay to to treat her differently or to treat her like an an object that you're going to consume or something like that it's very it's very weird and very disturbing yeah well and that we've talked about this before too that age of consent is not about protecting the kids it's about protecting the adults yeah so yeah um Anyway, glad that he got arrested. Glad that France is actually doing something. And, uh, I mean, we'll see what happens next. But I want them to stop protecting people like Polanski and, and, uh, um, oh my gosh, who was that, uh, the professional guy? Oh, uh, Besson. Besson, yeah. I totally blocked his name out of my brain. But yeah, they need to stop protecting these people and start really moving forward and protecting the girls in the industry and the boys too. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm and I'm certain that there are a lot of I'm certain that there's a lot of abuse of, of underage boys as well. And generally, amazingly enough, that that it has even more of a taboo, particularly in something in, in a culture like France, which is so steeped in this macho nature that you know you you've got to be tough, you've got to be manly, etc. And I'm certain that there are young young actors who this has happened to and and are not coming forward and probably will not come forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So, uh, moving on, this week the Oscars are a little bit in the news, kind of, maybe a little. Um, And of course it was big news and maybe not a big shock that there are, once again, no women in the Best Director lineup. I mean, 92 years, five female directors nominated, so, you know, we're just following the tradition, it's fine. (laughs) uh anyway this led to a conversation on twitter because there was a growing belief or kind of a groundswell that greta gerwig would get into director um ultimately it was todd phillips who took the last spot that was i think there were probably four or five directors that were having hovering around that because the ones that seemed like a shoe in were bong scorsese um Oh my gosh, my brain, I'm blanking. Um, uh, Mendez? Mendez, yeah, he seemed pretty definite, and Tarantino. Yeah. So those four seemed, I don't use the word lock, but they seemed as close to locked as, as anybody else would be. So then there were kind of four or five act, uh, directors that were hovering around that fifth spot, which would be Todd Phillips, who ultimately got in, Taika Waititi, Noah Baumbach, and Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Ultimately, they went with, you know, the boring, pasty white dude. <laughs> and which was no one's surprise. And it would have been the same thing if they'd gone with Bombeck, too. But uh, this caused a lot of people to be really upset. I personally was more upset that Taika didn't get in. Not just because of my personal feelings for him, but because I think that what he did with, with that movie is just so great. And he got nominated for a DGA and PGA. I mean, it's just... To me, that's the most glaring miss out of anybody. And, but, that's beside the point. Uh, Greta Gerwig didn't make it in. She did get nominated for screen, for Adapted Screenplay. And Tyler Ruggieri, I hope I'm saying that right, he had a thread on Twitter and he started off, he said, there's a reason Greta Gerwig being snubbed for her direction of Little Women it has everything to do with the way the art and craft of filmmaking has been masculinized from inception. And then he talks about how male directors like to show their work, that everything is about the spectacle and like, look at, look at what yeah. we did with this and look at this one shot film, which 1917 is brilliant. But anyway, um, <laughs> but but I understand his point. It's all about like they they sing this all live. They didn't record it at you know separately, and everything is about like the the suffering for the art. And female directors tend to be much less like that. And in fact, earlier this year, well, in 2019, I got to talk with Jennifer Kent about The Nightingale, and we talked pretty extensively about the lengths that she goes to to protect her actors. And especially in a film like The Nightingale, which is all about sexual violence and just violence in general, and a woman who has been brutally raped, has had her family murdered right in front of her. And uh, we talked about that relationship between the two leads, which were Sam Claflin and Ashley Franciosi, and how any male director likely would have tried to really make that an antagonistic, like keep them away from each other so that like when they come together, 
those scenes just really crackle and there's really that tension between them. But Jennifer Kent was like, I don't think that's the way to do this. I think that in order to really feel safe when you're filming and really feel like you can come out of this not feeling victimized, you two have to become friends. And so she really encouraged them to spend a lot of time together and get comfortable with each other so that they had a level of trust when they filmed those scenes. And it's just, it's, it's so interesting the way that men and women direct films differently and i mean Mm -hmm. i've said for for a year now that if a man had directed the nightingale it would have been nominated for 10 oscars this year but instead nope it's not nominated for a single thing but see but that's where i think that um what's his uh, name's gary's uh (laughs) thesis is not supportable (laughs) okay um, but, but so you're, you're saying like, if a man, if a man had directed this film, then he would have been nominated. Well, the film wouldn't particularly, you know, the film might be different, but if, if we're, if we're solely talking about this is the Nightingale and that's what mm-hmm. this is, then that kind right. of a film is not inherently female. Right. Right. Any more so than, you know, I mean, fuck man, Age of Innocence directed by Martin Scorsese is inherently male. Uh, in, in fact, we would probably look at Age of Innocence and go like, ah, oh, that's, that's a more feminine film because it's a romance, it's a costume drama, you know, all of that. But it's directed by, uh, Martin Scorsese, who is widely known as being a very masculine director, mm-hmm. right? Um, so my issue with what, what this guy was proposing was not that he's necessarily 100% wrong. Right. But that he the examples that he's using and the way that he's forming it is essentially cherry picking things. So he mentions like Battleship Potemkin. I was like, okay, so we're going to go back to Eisenstein, (laughs) you know, to to talk about this and and like the the development of montage uh, as as a technique and the the creation of tension in that way. And it's like, okay, well, but, you know, what about uh, God, what about Ramon Navarre's films, which are incredibly feminine films in a lot of ways, in the sense that they focus on women, they take the perspective of women very often, but they're directed by a man. Um, what about, you know, Catherine Bigelow's, um, the, you know, she won an Oscar for it, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. And the majority of her films are not what we would consider to be female films, whatever that particularly means. Uh, they're action films. They're films that do have this extremity of emotion and extremity of relationships and, uh, you know, as it were, showing your work. So I, I think that what he's doing, and I don't think he's, nece- I don't think he necessarily is intending this, but he's essentially saying that there's a binary, that there are the kind of films that men make and there are kind of films that women make, and we just don't value the kind of films that women make. And I think that indicates that he hasn't really seen that many films by women, or that he has and he just really hasn't paid attention to it, because I think it's difficult to look at the films of someone like Penelope Spheris, right? Mm-hmm. or uh, Ida Lupino, and say those are the kinds of films that women make. What does that mean, necessarily? I mean, if you look at The Hitchhiker, and you say, okay, Ida Lupino directed this, a woman directed it, it's an incredibly masculine film. It's all about men. It's, you know, and in terms of showing your work, it makes extensive use of chiaroscuro, it makes extensive use of film noir tropes, and images and this, you know, this heightening of tension that is about 
the relationship between men. So I don't look at that film and go like, oh, that's a female film. Um, any more than I look at Age of Innocence and go, well, that's a male film. Yeah. There was one thing he said in here that I really was just like, uh, thanks for ignoring all the women that directed movies before, like, 1930, but now I can't find yeah. it. Yeah. He was talking about going back to the beginning and just naming male directed films and male directors. And I'm like, um, there were a whole lot of women back in the beginning that actually really got the industry going. And then as yeah, soon as he, men realized they could make money and give themselves awards for it, they took it over and kicked the women out. Yeah, it, exactly. I, I think that to a certain degree, I think that, that what he's doing is he's making up an excuse. Um, and I don't necessarily think that he's doing this in bad faith or anything like that, but that it's, it's an excuse. Well, well, we just don't, we're sexist and therefore we just don't reward the kinds of films that women make, which the kinds of films that women make is sexist in itself because women make all, all kinds of films. Mm -hmm. And you know that, and that's not to say there is such a thing as the female gaze. There is such a thing as the way, like you're saying, the way that women also approach the way that films are made. Um, so Jennifer Kent encouraging um, encouraging her two actors to actually be friends with each other and to be comfortable with each other before filming really difficult scenes. Um, so that there's, but that in itself doesn't necessarily mean that you know, first of all, that a male director can't do that, but also that that doesn't necessarily mean that um, the film comes out differently. It's more of a, a desire to kind of make a collective film to be like we're all in this together sort of thing uh i feel yeah. like some of what he's talking about though is and i completely agree with everything you said i feel like what he's trying to say is that so much of this is is more about the perception like the people who vote who select the nominees and everything they have this idea in their head. If they haven't heard stories of suffering, then it doesn't count as much. And I think that, first of all, that's ridiculous. Um, but I, I think that there's at least some nugget of truth to that. Because, I mean, one of the things he talks about, and it's absolutely true, is all the, the talk around what Leonardo DiCaprio did to finally win his Oscar for The Revenant. And, you know, there's just this weird idea that people have that you have to suffer in order to make good art. And it's not that it's true that you have to, but I think that that those kinds of, of conversations, those kinds of stories make people take more attention and hearing like, I mean, look at everything surrounding Joker and surrounding Joaquin Phoenix and all the stories coming out about what a dick he was to everyone on the set. <laughs> Actually, someone tweeted yesterday that it's ridiculous that Todd Phillips got nominated for Best Director when clearly it was Joaquin Phoenix directing <laughs> that movie. <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, yeah, it's, we have, not we, but there's this widespread kind of uh, belief, attitude, whatever you want to call it, that uh, the extremes are what make a film or a performance or a job award worthy. Yeah, I mean and and I agree with that and I think that we do t and we do tend to the cult of the director has very much grown up around um and I mean there's a whole history behind it, but it is very much grown up around this this idea of the director as this totalitarian dictator essentially mm -hmm. of the the film set and you know and people talk about it and, and 
And I'm saying this is a film that I love, but Stanley Kubrick's treatment of um, Shelley Duvall in, in The Shining mm-hmm. is notorious. Yeah. Right? It's notorious. That being said, there are other also male directors that have a great reputation for being very communal and very loving, even within films that are disturbing stories. Right? So David Lynch has a, a reputation for being a real, for being an a actor's director. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who really strives to make his act, all of his actors comfortable and happy and producing something that a, a work of art that they are in together and that they're producing together. And that that part of that means not torturing them <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and not expecting that they're going to, that they're going to do something that will endanger them or endanger themselves mentally or physically. And, and I think that, I think that that's a perspective that's maybe we could consider it feminized in the sense that a lot of female directors tend tend to trend in that direction. But at the same time, it's it's really just kind of an offshoot of this development of the this toxic development of the idea of the director as the dictator of the set. And and I will say this, that, you know, and, and the the stories about people like um, von Stroheim or uh, Cecil B. DeMille, or Griffiths, or Alfred Hitchcock, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that that has sort of been venerated, and that has been venerated by both Hollywood and by critics as being like, this is what you have to do in order to produce good art. And that's not true, and that's self-evidently not true. There's n- no one should suffer. No one should have to suffer. Yeah. Just in order to get the shot. Like, you know, we should not have Quentin Tarantino strangling people or spitting in their faces mm-hmm. uh, just in order to get the shot. Like, that's not worth it. Why Why would that be worth it? That becomes abuse. Exactly. Yep. Um, well, this leads us into some really great questions we got from listeners. And they're very Oscar-centric this week. So, uh Let's start with um, from Brendan at BLC Agnew. Favorite lady directed film that didn't get its due? So many. So many. Why don't you start us off? Hustlers. (laughs) I mean, I mean, speaking of a film that if it had been directed by a man would definitely be nominated for shit. Hustlers, like how has how did Hustlers not get a Best Director nomination? Not at least get J Lo into the Best Supporting Actress category. Like, what the fuck? So Hustlers definitely. I I think my favorite film this year, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, has just been pretty much soundly ignored. I'm not surprised, but um, it does seem to be getting ignored. I think Little Women also, and Little Women is not my favorite in the group, but. Um, I actually do think that it, particularly considering the films that the films that have gotten a lot of attention and the directors that have gotten a lot of attention, if you're going to give them attention, give Greta Gerwig some attention as well. Uh, so those are three just off the top of my head. Uh, my biggest one is the farewell. I mean, oh, the fair, yeah. I I really honestly cannot believe it didn't walk away with a single nomination. I I knew it wasn't going to get best picture. I knew it wasn't going to get director there. I, I am actually shocked that Aquafina wasn't nominated after she just won a golden globe, which I know this year less than ever, the golden globes affected the race because 
the ballots were already due before the Globes were announced. But there was just such a groundswell for her and for Xiao Shuzhen, but especially for Aquafina, that I cannot believe that she missed out. And also Lulu Wong not getting in for screenplay. Because that original screenplay is really fantastic. So I think that's my biggest one. Um, and then also, yeah, The Nightingale. It's funny because it's like it wasn't even that high on my list of movies that I saw this year as far as favorites or anything. But it's so well made. It's such a it's uh, such a good story, so well done, that the craft of it, I... I'm really disappointed it got zero love. So those are my two. Um, yeah, so let's see. What is... Uh, sorry, I'm reading these. Okay, so from Leo Rydell, why do you think Greta Gerwig got snubbed? Speaking of Greta Gerwig not getting in. Her movie got nominated for Best Picture, but she doesn't get one for Director. What's up with that? Okay. <laughs> Here's what I want to say about that. First of all, there are nine <laughs> best pictures and there are only five director slots. So someone's not getting in. Four people are not getting in. I also really think that we overuse the word snub big time. And I mean, in this case, you you could, I could see an argument that maybe Greta Gerwig got snubbed, but I think you have to look at the fact that there's just not room for everybody. Honestly, I think Taika Waititi would be more of a miss than she was because he had six overall nominations, um, two they had two of the same, three of the same categories because they had picture, adapted screenplay, and supporting actress. But then he also got three tech awards. And the fact that directing a movie that is acclaimed for writing and acting and the text tends to bode better for um, directing. And so I think that he's a bigger miss. But, I mean, I've been advocating for a long time that they move the Oscars to a straight 10 best pictures and expand the directing category to 10 directors. Because you have 10 lead actors, you have 10 supporting actors, you have 10 screenplays. So, yeah, then why I think they you have. I, I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, for a long time they had five best picture yeah. nominees, too. And there have been some people who said that we should go back to that. I disagree. I think especially in a world where we're having more and more films come out every year and more and more great films that are eligible, I think having 10 makes a lot of sense. Um, but I think if you're going to do that, you they need to expand the director category. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that I think we're going to talk a little bit more about Little Women. Um but I, I think that one of the reasons why we were, why people were surprised about the lack of Gerwig was kind of, I think it was a combination of things. It was the fact that people like Phillips got in, mm-hmm. right? And combined with the fact that there's not a single woman nominated again. Uh, and that, that has produced some, some conflict like and, and as we said the and i agree with you about watiti as well because we if you look at the the nominee list there is only one person of color involved in that mm-hmm. um only one not old white guy basically right and and meanwhile and you know and i absolutely think that the scorsese deserves a nomination i think the bong joon ho deserves a nomination um the other is some kind of like eh. You know, like I, I don't care that much. I haven't seen 1917, so you know, I can't, I can't say that you know this is a bad film or anything like that. But 
the the nominees are very very boring. So to have met, to have at least added a, a woman or another person of color at least, you know, it would have been nice. It would have shown that there was a a more expansive attention was being paid than just like oh it's more dramas by old white men. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I. I I don't, I'm not 100% certain whether I think Eric was snubbed at that level, because I do agree with what you're saying, that there are a lot of directors that you could argue was snubbed. Watiti was definitely snubbed. I think that um, Lorraine Scafaria was snubbed. I think that Lulu Wang was snubbed. Uh, I think that you could put Gehrig into that category as well, because she's produced a film that is quite popular, that is very well made, that is very well directed. Like, I, I will say that about that film. Um and the way that she puts the story together and everything. And, and is also, you know, we were talking about this earlier is also a very female centric film. It's about women and it is about uh, young women and their experiences and their feelings and the way that they are navigating a very difficult world, a very patriarchal world. And so to see that just not, to not honor the person who actually directed it, but be like, Oh yeah, this is worthy of getting all these other nods, but not, the person who actually helped to craft it. That's disturbing. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm really, I really wish that Todd Phillips had missed, but also you have to look at the fact that um, you have, this is a historic year, maybe for better or for worse, I would say a little bit for worse, but um, this is a historic year where you have four films for the first time ever that all got double digit nominations. And that's mm-hmm. Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, and The Irishman. And the f- fact that you have that many award- films getting that many nominations, it makes sense that all four of those directors would be in. And, I mean, it would have, as much as I wish Todd Phillips wasn't there, it would have been really weird if his film got 10 nominations and he wasn't one of them. But the Little Women got a whole bunch of nominations too. It got five, and that's that's significant, though. Oh, totally. But it's like that's, it's the that's significant. It's the sixth most. So because you had Joker with eleven, Irishman, Once Upon a Time, and nineteen seventeen with ten, and then you had Parasite and and um, JoJo with six, and then Little Women with five. I do have to say though. That list, other than other than Jojo Rabbit and Parasite, is so boring. It's so white like, and male. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I really think like, and I loved The Irishman, and I think that you know what, I will be happy if The Irishman walks away with a whole bunch of awards. I will be very happy with that. Um, but just looking at, it, just like, oh my god, I'm so bored by this. Like, it, it's so predictable. It's so. Like you're saying, there's so many films that got a bunch of nominations. So there's going to be a case where, like, it could be that one walks away with, you know, all of them. Um, I really hope that we're not on on the path for another Titanic. I uh, really don't think we are. Because just the people that I've talked to in the industry, I've talked to some voters. And it really is interesting. Because for those who aren't sure about it don't know how it works um the nominations are done by each branch so when someone gets into the academy they go in based on what their job is if they have multiple jobs they can kind of choose which branch they go into so they can be in the writer's branch or the actor's branch or whatever 
And so those branches each vote for their own nominees. And then when the general voting happens, then everybody votes for everything. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting when you see these big groundswells where you see a film get, you know, double digit nominations because yeah, those, those guild members and those, those Academy members are talking to each other, but they don't, they don't vote for each other's categories in this Mm -hmm. phase. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but I also, the conversations I've had, it's like you ask someone, Hey, what was your favorite movie of 2019? And it's been really very widespread. Um, Mm -hmm. And it seems like the most people that I've talked to have commented primarily on Jojo and Parasite. And then you hear 1917 and Joker. I don't hear that many people talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or The Irishman, honestly, other than to make jokes about how long The Irishman is. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has also kind of petered out in a certain sense that it's, I don't know, and that might just be my impression that that there is this kind of attitude like, Oh, that came out and, you know, it, it got pretty good reviews and a lot of people liked it and everything. Okay, moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, the Joker, of course, it was so controversial in so many different ways that I think people are more aware of it and talk about it a lot more. Uh, and, you know, maybe that would have been the true, true about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood if, um, if, if Joker hadn't come out this year. I think that there would have maybe been a different discussion. It could be. But I think this is a year, especially because you have four, it's so top heavy with so many getting so many, like, so you have four movies getting so many of the nominations. I think that that actually creates more of an opportunity to spread the wealth because if I've got a ballot and I'm looking at, well, if I vote for this here, I want to make sure that that movie gets something. So I'm going to vote for that over here. So Mm -hmm. I think that you're going to see things. I think you're going to see some splits. I think that, um, I think whoever wins one of the screenplays will probably win best picture, but I think that director is going to go to somebody else. And I think the acting, uh, the acting winners are going to be split among a couple of films. I don't think that you're going to have trying to think if this, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think you're going to have two actors from the same film getting, awards so Mm -hmm. it's i think it's going to lead to a a year where it's it's more spread out it's not going to be sucked up by one film which is good yeah definitely i hope so yeah um well james at jkc heart asked what is the stupidest oscar nomination this year (laughs) bonus points for it not being related to the clown movie and what is the coolest oscar pick this year uh, I, I can't think of one that isn't related to the clown. <laughs> well, my my dumbest, uh, stupidest Oscar nomination. Sorry, I will die on this hill. I hate Florence Pugh as Amy March at 13 years old, and it fucking sucks that she got nominated over Shao Suzen. Uh, we're gonna and have J-Lo. a conversation about that. <laughs> we're gonna have a conversation about that. I I agree. I agree that both of those women should have been nominated. I I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't think of one that 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 doesn't have to do with the Joker. Marriage Story got a few, didn't? And I think that that's yeah. pretty stupid because it's a bad movie. Yeah, it really it's it makes me sad that Laura Dern's Oscar is gonna be for that. 
because she's yeah. probably going to win. And it's like, oh, man. I, I, You know what? If she wins, I'm going to pretend that she got it for little women. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I be like, it's actually for little women. It's okay. It's... <laughs> that works. I, yeah. I liked her in Marriage Story, but I, I, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> it feels like a caricature of her Big Little Lies character, so that's it bugs mm. me. Like, I love her. I think she's wonderful, but and she's a perfect human being. But I just, I have so many negative feelings about that movie, but she's one of them. Um, uh, what about coolest Oscar picks, Oscar nominations? I'm going to say the fact that um, Parasite and Jojo Rabbit both got in for film editing was huge and very exciting. Because the correlation between... Not that I think either one of them is going to win Best Picture, although I'm starting to think the tide is turning for Parasite. Um, but the fact that they both got in over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is <laughs> crazy and um, gives them really strong support for to threat to be threats in, in the top categories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like Parasite getting in there for, for a Best Picture and Best Director, like all of those. I think it would be... I think it would be amazing. I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't think it's going to happen. It could, I guess. But um, I think it would be amazing that, that this film about um, class stratification in Korea uh, could actually wind up being a Best Picture winner. I think that that's, that's really cool. I also just really dig that Joe Pesci got nominated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me happy because I love him and I particularly loved him in the Irishman. So I, I think he really deserves it. And, uh, and I would like, I would like to see him win. I think that would be really cool. He's so great. It would be awesome if, I mean, I love Brad. I've met Brad Pitt too. Now what the heck? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay. Now you're just name dropping. I am. I, mean, I, I am. And it's Brad. so dumb. It's ridiculous. I was saying to him the other day, Brad, I love you. Oh, it was, it was more like Joe. just staring into his beautiful locks, but, um, yeah, but no, Joe Pesci, I, it would make me so happy if he, if he wins. Cause his performance is just so, I don't know. It's, it's subtle, but it's really powerful. And it, I think it just, it's such a great summary of what he's been able to do in his career. And it would be really awesome to see him get rewarded for that. If he wins the SAG this weekend, which is, those are tomorrow. If he wins the SAG, he's definitely in a place to win the Oscar. Although I still think Pitt's going to get it, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, every once in a while I go back to the scene in The Irishman. I just think about it. The, the scene in The Irishman where he's telling Frank that, you know, he, basically telling him you're going to have to go kill Jimmy Hoffa. Mm-hmm. It is what uh, it is. <laughs> and and that, the intensity and the way that both of them really, and it is it is both of them, but, but Pesci in particular, the, the combination of sadness... <laughs> Mm-hmm. That he doesn't want to do this. He's not happy about it. Yeah. And but he's constrained by the whole system that he exists in, and sort of being like, we, you know, we tried, we tried mm-hmm. to help him, and we couldn't, and now this has to happen. And it's just very, it's so subtle and so intense. And there's none of that histrionic, there's no shouting, there's no, like, it's just these two old men who are, like, coming to the point where, like, 
you have to do this now and I have to tell you to do it. Yeah. It's very, very tough to watch, but it's really good. There's so many moments like that for him in the movie, which I know we've talked about this movie at length, but the other one that I, I always think about is right after Frank has, um, has gone and blown up the laundromat and he gets summoned to sit down with Harvey Keitel <laughs> and Joe Pesci's just sitting there not saying a word and Harvey Keitel's like, you don't know how good a friend you have. Oh, yeah, I know. No, you don't know. And just the power that you can feel from Joe Pesci, even though he's not saying a word, he's just sitting there watching this. And it's just, it's one of those moments of like, it's when performers can be so strong and so, and just so assertive with, with who they are in that character by not saying anything, it's, it's really powerful. And I think that he's just, it's just one of those moments that you have so many of them throughout the film. Every time he's on screen, it's just, it's perfection. Yeah. Um, okay. What is your favorite minor Oscar award? Best animated short, best documentary short. Um, I, I don't know if he means the nomination or the cat. I don't know what he means by that. I, this I think, is from I think Noah underscore Saturn. I'm going to interpret this as category. I like the short categories because mm -hmm. very often they give attention to, to films that I've never even heard of because I don't, I generally don't pay attention to shorts. Um, but it's really nice to see them yeah. because it gives attention to filmmakers, to producers, to artists, etc., who will probably never or might never. I mean, they, they might, who knows? Um, get to come back onto that stage and it actually gives attention to very different kinds of art that it reminds you that these that filmmaking and cinema is not just the big budget famous films that everybody has seen but also these little films that you know maybe only a handful of people have seen um and they're actually something to seek out and and also i've like seen some great films as a result of that you don't you know i generally forget the fact that you can make a great film and 10, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, and the, that kind of short form storytelling is very important as well. Yeah, actually, um, sorry, I'm going to talk about him a lot, but he's my new bestie. Taiko Waititi in 2004 <laughs> <laughs> was nominated for a live action short for an Oscar. And really? now here he is. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, it was a film called Two Cars One Night. I have not seen it. But um, I remember the video, there was actually, the video was floating around a few months ago or a few, I don't know, time has no meaning, maybe it was yesterday. But um, <laughs> it was, he had talked to, because they were sitting kind of in the back of this section, and so he told all the other nominees in the category, let's all pretend to be asleep <laughs> when they <laughs> announced the category. He was the only one that did it. hilarious i'll find the video and send it to you i'll link it in the show notes it's really funny <laughs> anyway yeah i agree with you i think the shorts are are fantastic because it gives an awesome opportunity to showcase talent and to to show that you can tell a complete story in just a few minutes and i've seen some really amazing short films documentaries that have have really made me just want to learn more about a subject um, animation styles that are just incredible. And in, in where I'm at now in the position I'm in now, I get the opportunity to see 
all the nominated shorts every year. And there's always something that is just so, uh, so fascinating to watch and, and to learn from and seeing different emerging filmmakers and, and established filmmakers too, making really incredible short works of art. It's, I love it. It's great. Um, Noah had a second question. Since SNL did a Sesame Street parody of Joker, did you ever see that? The Oscar the Grouch one? Is that, yeah, Grouch, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what other Best Picture nominees could use a Muppet parody? <laughs> um, I want to see the Irishman with Muppets. That's oh, all I absolutely. Have to say. Just like, yes. you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like, like Kermit as, <laughs> as, um, as Frank. <laughs> oh my gosh, who would be Russell Buffalino? Um... I was trying. To, I was just trying to think of that, and I'm like, oh my god, who could possibly? Play I feel like that I feel like Gonzo would be Al, or um, not Al Pacino, uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> <laughs> oh like, man! I, Actually, Bob, no, no, Bob, Miss Piggy Bob, would be Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> Fozzie, Fozzie is, is Buffalino, just like, it is what it is, Kermit. It is what it is. Oh my gosh. I also think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, They, I know they tried to do that with um, that Melissa McCarthy movie. It didn't work out so well, but <laughs> it's because they weren't the actual Muppets, that's why. Uh, let's see. So... Um, Unstoppable Rant asked about the nominations in general. Of course, it's very white and male uh, Oscar year once again. So do you think these nominations are a reactionary backlash against the success of films like Moonlight, Get Out, Lady Bird, Black Panther, The Shape of Water, etc.? I, I don't think that it's a backlash. I, um... I know that every year there's stories that come out about Oscar voters who they'll see a film on a ballot and they'll be like, well, didn't we do that last year already? And it's not necessarily that they're against that movie. They just don't feel burning need to reward it. Um, not that that's better, but I think that what's happened this year, honestly, I think the shortened season, the Oscars are three weeks earlier than they normally are. Everybody's feeling it. All the guilds had had to move everything up earlier there's just a shorter time. And I think that there hasn't been a lot of time for people to see everything. So they've been seeing the movies by the people that they know, which that's Martin Scorsese. That's Quentin Tarantino, you know? And so I think that it hasn't given as much time for certain films to emerge. But then when you see a movie like Parasite getting six Oscar nominations, I I don't think that, I don't think that that is, I don't think that other movies not getting in is a reactionary backlash. I think that, J-Lo and, and Lorraine Scafaria missing out for Hustlers. I mean, when I saw that movie, I was like, I don't see this getting Oscar nominations. And I'm sorry that I was right about that, but it doesn't feel like it was uh, because they've done that before or because these other movies already won, succeeded, that we have to punish this one. It didn't feel like that. It just, I think that what people were looking for this year, some of those films just didn't just didn't fit in with that, I guess. Yeah, I I think that I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that I would call it a backlash because I don't think that it's that, I don't think it's that calculated. It's not like, okay, we've done, you know, Shape of Water or we've done Get Out and therefore we never have to do that again. Right. 
um, or something like that. I think that it's the Oscars have pretty much always, and there are always outliers. There are always the the Shape of Waters, the Shape of uh, Get Out, Lady Bird, etc. Um, Moonlight that are kind of unpredictable, come from behind. We sort of expected that they would get a nod but wouldn't get an award kind of thing. Like, I, I think that there have always been those within Oscar history. And um, this this year, just kind of seeing some more of the same. I mean, the Oscars have always been vanilla at some level. Mm-hmm. They've been about very often very popular films, films that are, like you're saying, by very acknowledged filmmakers um, with actors that are known to be, you know, these people are Oscar contenders. And while we have those outliers, the majority of them are pretty much, you know, what it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so it's, it's hardly, I think that's the sense of disappointment that is coming out this year. And that has really come out in the past couple of years of not so much, uh, you know, it's shocking that you're not nominating these films, but more like, oh, my God, why can we not have something different? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that one of the things that was very interesting about the reward, the awards for, for Moonlight or for Shape of Water is that they are very different films. Um, they're not immediately the films that you go to. And I think that we're seeing a similar thing with Parasite. That's why, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be horribly surprised if Parasite actually won. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that it's a backlash. I don't think it's just like, oh, we're just not going to nominate these. It's just like, it's, it's boring. It's industry people being industry people, mm-hmm. basically. And I, I don't think that we should really, as, as tiring as it is, and until something actually changes, I don't think we should really expect the Oscars to be anything other than vanilla. Yeah. Um, and celebrate it when they're not. Yeah but not expect them not to be, because that's what they're going to be. Yeah. I mean, there is a really strong possibility, and especially, honestly, I think with Todd Phillips getting into Best Director, I think that there's going to be a four-way split. I think Bong Joon-ho wins Best Director this year. And I think part of that is because Todd Phillips is there to pull votes away from Scorsese and Tarantino and Mendes. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean... That would be amazing if Bong Joon-ho wins Best Director. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Okay, so we're going to move on. I actually put together a Fuck, Mary Kill <laughs> Oscar edition. Um, since we are kind of running a little long and we still want to get to an actual review of Little Women, we're just going to do a couple of categories. So um, you choose, I'll, I'll give you the names, but you choose the category. Picture, Director, Lead actor, lead actress, supporting actor, or supporting actress? Uh, let's do lead actor. Lead actor. Okay, your choices are fuck, marry, or kill. Antonio Banderas, Adam Driver, Jonathan Price. Oh. <laughs> okay, all right. That's actually not that difficult. Um, um, fuck Antonio Banderas. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mary... Marry Jonathan Price and kill Adam Driver. Like, that's, yeah, that's actually really easy for me. Poor Adam Driver, but that is the right choice, yes. Okay. (laughs) Pick one more. Actually, you Uh, know what? Let's just go through them all. What the heck? This this could be fast. Supporting actor. Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, Anthony Hopkins. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) 
Well, Brad Pitt and Tom Hanks would be too easy, so. <laughs> so Joe Pesci, Al Anthony Hopkins, and Al Pacino. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I... Okay, uh, I guess I would fuck Al Pacino because I just want to know what that's like. Uh, I, 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 no, I would, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I would marry Anthony Hopkins and I would kill Joe Pesci. I know, I would do the same and I feel really bad about it. <laughs> I just finished talking about how I want him to win. I'm just like, oh, I'm sorry, Joe. He can win and then he can die. <laughs> um, lead actress, Saoirse Ronan, Cynthia Erivo, Charlize Theron. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Um, Saoirse Ronan, Charlize Theron. Okay, I would fuck Charlize Theron. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is going to sound terrible. I would marry Saoirse Ronan. I would, I would kill Cynthia Erivo, and I don't want to do that. But. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm actually the opposite. Sorry, Sersha, you're dying. Um, <laughs> Cynthia Revo is an angel, and I love her. So see, that's um, what I that's what I suspect. See, I was thinking more about no, never mind. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how to like explain my thought process on that. <laughs> uh, supporting actress: Kathy Bates, Laura Dern, Scarlett Johansson. Oh, oh, well, that's. <laughs> That's pretty easy. I I would I would uh, fuck Laura Dern, marry Kathy Bates, and kill Scarlett <laughs> Yes, that is correct. Sorry, ScarJo. <laughs> okay, directors: Bong Joon Ho, Todd Phillips, Quentin Tarantino. Fuck you. <laughs> okay, um, I would I would. Fuck Quentin Tarantino because then he could just get it over with. Uh, marry Bong Joon Ho, obviously, and and kill Todd Phillips. See, I would kill Quentin Tarantino because really? yeah, I, I know things. I would kill him um, <laughs> and definitely marry Bong Joon Ho. He's yeah. a delightful human being. <laughs> uh, okay, picture. So what I did for this one was I picked the main. Or one of the main actors, like not actor, but character okay. from Best Picture. <laughs> so we've got Frank the Irishman, Sharon, Arthur Fleck, and Rick Dalton. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> That's just impossible. That's like a no. Well, I okay, I would kill Arthur for sure. I think I'd f- fuck Rick Dalton. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd fuck Rick and then <laughs> marry Frank. Maybe I have that backwards. Rick yeah, see, has a lot of money. Problem. That's that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem because Frank is a sociopath. Yeah. But I think Rick is too. <laughs> yeah, probably. Can we just kill all of them? Okay, just... I'm fine with all right. that. All right, and kill, kill, and kill. Last one. Rosie Betzler, Joe March, Jessica from Chicago. <laughs> Jessica from Chicago? What? That's Parasite. That's that's oh. uh, her alter ego for the yeah. Uh, wait, say those again. <laughs> Rosie Betzler, JoJo's mom. Uh-huh. Joe March, and um, Jess- Jessica from Chicago. Uh, okay. So like probably, 
Oh, I really, I really like Rosie. I, I think I would marry Rosie, fuck Joe March, and kill Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably the safe bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely the safest. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that. So, speaking of Little Women and Joe March, <laughs> uh, Little Women, you finally saw it. You finally saw it. Definitely yeah. liked it more than I did. It sounds like. So, why yes, don't you so. talk about your thoughts on Little Women? All right. Well, I, yeah, I just wanted to give a, a, a brief, brief response to Little Women. So I got to see Little Women yesterday. Yes, I am somewhat late, but I finally got to go out to the movies. It's awesome. And I, I liked it. I, I think that and I'm saying this is someone who um, is not I don't particularly have strong, strong creature feelings about the book. Uh, I really don't have strong creature feelings about the previous films, like the, at least the ones that I've seen. I have not seen the miniseries. And there might be one from the 1950s that I haven't seen either, although I can't 100% remember that. Um, but I have seen the the one with uh, with Catherine Hepburn, obviously the one from the 90s with Winona Ryder at all, and uh, and this most recent one. And I I liked the construction of the film. I thought that it was very it was very well made. It was very well put together. I liked the going back and forth between time periods. And uh, and points in the story so that rather than getting this totally linear narrative, you're actually seeing that that sense of nostalgia that a lot of it is about Joe looking back on her life and her relationships with her sisters and with her mother and with Laurie, et cetera. And seeing that in kind of this hazy nostalgia of how wonderful her childhood was and her, her young adulthood, I guess, um, and how that changes and um, and how her relationships with her sisters change. I thought that the performances were, were amazing. I actually think that Florence Pugh was remarkable in, in that role. And I like the fact, I know that people are like, Oh, she's supposed to be 13, um, which I completely forgot. I was like, Oh, they're, they're teenager ish, you know, all of them. Um, but she, I like the performance that she gives as like this bratty kid, basically. Uh, who wants so much to be admired and loved by her older sisters and, you know, and is also a bit of a, a bit of a jerk in the way that teenage girls tend to be. Uh, but I, I thought that she did, a, she transformed really well. And I think that the movement from that characterization into what we, we what we see with her relationship with Laurie and um, being in France, et cetera, and that sense of, that sense that she has to marry well and that, you know, Meg has kind of quote failed the family at that level. So this, and this is probably never going to happen with Joe and Beth is, is very ill. So she kind of has to be the one I've got to find a husband that has money so that I can help support my family and not starve to death. Uh, and that I like the fact that the film used that and actually dealt with these issues of, women having to marry, having to not having the luxury always of being in love and, or of loving the right person, loving the person that they, they truly care about versus the person that is going to advance them in the best way. And that there's nothing that, that, that is mercenary on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, I don't have any other options, uh, particularly in a family that is full of nothing but women, that there is no brother, there isn't, you know, the father is not even particularly competent in taking care of his own family. Uh, and I thought that the film did that really well. It got at the discontent 
and the sense that all of these girls should be allowed to be more than what they're going to be because of their gender. And I liked that the film actually dealt with those, those issues in ways that I don't think the previous ones have. So I enjoyed it. Um, I thought that the performances were great. I thought that Laura Dern was great. Saoirse Ronan was great. Um, uh, I, I think that it was over long. Uh, it should have ended much earlier. It does kind of, and I know that this is basically the way that the story ends, but I do feel like everything gets wrapped up into a neat little package, and I never felt like that this is really the right ending for it, especially not for this the way that the film tells this particular story, that there's there's a like, oh, and now everything's fine. And it's like, no, is it, though? Is it really fine? I mean, are these people really happy? Um, are they really in positions that they're going to be happy for the rest of their lives? And maybe that's all that they can be. That's, this is the happy, this is the best of all possible worlds for them. Um, so yeah, I liked it. I, I think that, you know, it was imperfect, but I've seen so many films that are so much worse. Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, that was my feeling about it. I, um, so I saw it. I don't even know when I saw it. It was a while ago. It was like, it hadn't come out yet. It was because, you know, the studios were campaigning and they wanted us to vote for it. And so it was like a guild screening. And my first impression, I did not like it at all. I love Little Women. It's one of my, it was one of my favorite books as, you know, as a kid, as a teenager. And the 1994 version, I love that movie. Um, and so I didn't like this one. It wasn't the structure, but I think it was some of the ways that things happened because of the structure. Um, it bothered me. And I and I don't think that Florence Pugh couldn't pull off 13-year-old Amy. I just didn't like the way that it was done. Um, it felt very silly to me. It didn't feel like an actual adult being serious. It felt like an adult just trying to pretend to act like a 13 year old. And so it just, it bothered me. I didn't like it. I saw the movie again because I had to write the review for a word circuit. And when I watched it again, I definitely softened on it a lot. I think that there are some things that it does really well. I still will not forgive her for what she did to Friedrich bear because I <laughs> love Friedrich. Um, but I think that there are other things about it that, are really, really good. Like the fact that they actually give Marmy an opportunity to express her frustration and the fact that she doesn't just totally just blindly love her life, you know, that it's, it's hard and she has to make a choice to love her life every day. And, and you see those moments where Christmas morning, the girls are waiting for her and she walks in and before they see that she's there, she kind of has this moment of like, okay, I have to, you know, gird myself up for this. I'm about to disappoint yeah. my girls. And you get to see that moment on her. Um, and also just a couple of times where her husband makes vaguely sexist remarks and she just kind of rolls her eyes like, yep, this is, this is my lot in life, you know? And, and <laughs> it's a version of Marmy that I haven't seen before. It's certainly there in the book. It's, it's, it's evident in the book, but they tend to make mommy marmy like this mythically perfect person and i'm glad that i'm glad that greta didn't go that route that she actually okay. showed her as a real person with actual feelings and 
thoughts about the things that she has to do and the choices that she has to make. So I, I thought that was, mm-hmm. was really good. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I like, I like that scene where she says to, she says to Joe, Oh, I'm angry every day. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is that, that combination. And also the way that you perceive your, your mother, or your parents when you're a child and when you're young and when, and the things that you begin to realize about them as you get older, that, they're not always right. They're not always perfect. It, that there's a struggle that's going on there. And for the most part, she's a woman who is raising four daughters basically by herself. Yeah. Uh, and even when her husband does come back, like one of the first things that she says to him is, oh, good. Now I can be angry with you in person. <laughs> yeah. And and there is that like edge of, of like, this is not necessarily the life that she wants or that she even deserves really, but that she has, and she does love her children and she does love her husband, but that doesn't mean that she's not angry about things or discontented with things. It's also not the life she signed on for because he had money when they got married and she had to watch him just like give everything away and she Mm -hmm. couldn't do anything about it. So now she's stuck. And that's one of the things that I really love about her is that she does make that choice every day that she's just going to keep going, that she's just going to love her family and, and just make the best of it. And I think that that makes her such an inspiring person. I think that makes her such a, that, that scene that you mentioned, I think that that's so important for Joe and for her development as a character, because you see that she does have a lot of her mother in her. And I think other versions of that character, Joe really feels like the outlier in the family. Amy, too. But they just, they feel like, how did that woman raise you guys, you know? And and <laughs> to understand that actually they're a lot more like their mother than you might think. I, I, I'm glad that, that Gerwig uh, gave us the opportunity to see that. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. All right. So, um, what do you got going on this week? Uh, I am trying to recover from everything. Oh, I will have a review coming up uh, over the course of next week. I finally am getting to see The Color Out of Space. Nice. uh, Which I am very, very excited about. uh, And so the review should be coming up on the website within the next week. Awesome. Well, this week I'm headed to Sundance. And, uh, yeah, well, you know that you're exhausted (laughs) when you're looking forward to a major film festival so that you actually have some time to rest (laughs) and relax. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Sundance is the last thing that's like, it's not restful or relaxing, but just the idea of like trapping myself inside a theater for, you know, six hours a day where no one can talk to me. It's really nice. <laughs> yeah. See, I know that feeling of just like, that's what I felt going to the movies yesterday. I was like, I have to sit here and watch a film for two hours and I can't do anything other than that. That is it. Yep. Um, really lovely. Yeah. By the way, Jojo Rabbit expanded to 900 new theaters this weekend. So I'm definitely going to go see it again. Oh my God. I know. Your That'll be number four. Take a, your best friend, take a Watiti. Yep. Yep. Buddy. My bestie. Uh, he's a delightful human being so anyway well that's gonna wrap things up this week uh it's been good we're i think we're gonna be off next week 
Maybe you'll have a co-host. We'll figure it out. Um, I definitely will be not here. We'll be not here. That's where I'm at now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll we'll let y'all know uh, what what the plan is for for next episode. But um, you can find us if you want more information. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Karen. No, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Citizen Dame. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod and Facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. You can send us an email directly. That's CitizenDamePod at gmail.com. Make sure to go to our official website, CitizenDamePod.com, where you can find reviews of some of the movies we've talked about and some of the movies that are coming up. And yeah, you can also help us out by supporting us monetarily because that is how we keep things going. We have to pay for hosting and stuff. And we have a couple ways you can do that. You can sign up for Patreon. That's patreon.com slash citizendame. And you can, uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you're helping us out with $3. You can um, help by, well, you can get access to the shows a little bit early. Uh, we also will be having some bonus content. I know I've been promising that for a long time, but we really will. As soon as the Oscars are over, I'm going to have some time on my hands. So we'll do it. <laughs> Uh, we also have our Zazzle store with lots of fun stuff in there. Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame. And if you just want to kick us a couple of dollars, our Ko-Fi is ko-fi.com slash Citizen Dame. Uh, we also really appreciate uh, iTunes reviews at, or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now. Um, those help us out and help people find the show. So if you enjoy what you hear, Go find us on Apple Podcasts. I will make sure that the link is in the show notes, too, and um, give us a ranking. If you don't like the show, just, you know, keep it to yourself. Uh, you, can yeah. also, <laughs> you can also find us individually on Twitter and Instagram. Lauren, where are you? I am at LH Business. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye. <laughs> when I get in a passion, I get so savage, I could hurt anyone, and I'd enjoy it. You remind me of myself. But you're never angry. I'm angry nearly every day of my life. You are? with nearly 40 years of effort, I'm learning to not let it get the better of me. Well, I'll do the same then. I hope you'll do a great deal better than me. There are some natures too noble.